Welcome to our 8th Carolina Roll Call Podcast. My name is Jacoria, my partner name is Coleman, and Coleman couldn't be here today, so I asked Emma to join us, that is the chair of the South Carolina College Federations of Republicans, and I thought it would be really cool to have two strong women in our state talk about South Carolina, talk about politics. A lot of people in our podcast that we've interviewed, they've been in very tight races, so this is the first um, politician, state leader, constitutional leader that you can kind of just relax talk about other races, talk about your experience in other races, and for voters to understand you and why it's so important to vote. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, give us a little overview of who you are. Great. Well, thank you, Ja'Cory. It's wonderful. And Emma, thank you for coming to see me. This is a, a very exciting time here in South Carolina. We have a presidential race that's about to conclude in, in just a few days. And we have a lot of other tight races. Uh, I'm Pamela Evan. I'm the 93rd Lieutenant Governor of South Carolina and the first uh, Republican woman Lieutenant Governor in South Carolina. Um, but this is my first time ever having the honor to serve. Uh, I came out of the business world. I grew a business in the upstate with my husband. We have a national company. Uh, but I knew I wanted to do more, more for the state. Um, more for my children, more to leave a legacy to my grandchildren. And so I was uh, so honored when Governor McMaster asked me to run as his running mate and ran in the 2018 election. And so you're right, this is an off cycle for the governor and I. And so I've been very happy to work with great Republicans from around the state. Uh, yesterday I was with Tom Rice at the Get Out the Vote in Horry County. He's doing amazing things in his part of the state. Uh, I've been a big champion for Senator Graham, uh, just so proud of what Senator Graham has done. Amy Coney Barrett, uh, very near and dear to me, you know, a very strong, well-educated uh, justice to sit on the bench. And then add to that that she's a mother of seven. Uh, she is, her resume is just stellar. And I was very disappointed that women on the other side of the aisle did not come and join us in celebrating her. Uh, I was very disappointed when the Girl Scouts were bullied into taking down their tweet recognizing her. She is a woman and she is an outstanding role model uh, to young girls everywhere. M my daughter is um, about to sit for her LSAT and you know that is somebody I, I would more than be proud for her to emulate. So. I was very disappointed in that. I think as women we should all come together when we're celebrating the big achievements of another woman. Um, and so that's where I am. I, I proudly serve with the governor, uh, go around the state, uh, helping, helping everybody. Senator Graham is in a tough race, so I was very happy to do a commercial for Senator Graham uh, and just getting out and talking about him and telling him why it's so important that he get elected. Absolutely. So I'll let Emma introduce yourself, and then we're going to go right into questions. Well, Ja'Cory, thank you so much for having me. Um, my name's Emma Scott. For those of you who don't know me, I am the chair of the South Carolina Federation of College Republicans, which means that I oversee every college Republican chapter in the state of South Carolina, as well as work with the CRNC um, just to make sure that our Republican candidates are winning up and down the ballot. 
This semester we've been working super hard to support our Republican nominees. We did a call week for Senator Lindsey Graham and we just did a deployment to SC01 to knock doors for Representative Nancy Mace who is running to flip back the first against Democrat Joe Cunningham. And so we're super excited as college Republicans to be involved in the state of South Carolina, we're super excited about the upcoming election and we're super excited for everything that's come in the next semester as well. So thank you for introducing yourself. And so I want to get right into policy, but before we get into policy, I want to ask you this question that I think is interesting because I think we've talked about this before, but I think it's a really cool um, thing. So how did the governor ask you to be his lieutenant governor? How did that come about? So, you know, the governor and I were very aligned politically. Uh, both were big supporters of President Trump, so that's how we got to know each other. Um, but the governor, when he was looking to have somebody run as his running mate, was looking for somebody that had fresh eyes, somebody that hadn't been in the political world, somebody that wasn't tied to any legislation or anything that's ever been done, so that they could have their own opinion and, and maybe see things that others didn't. Uh, I came out of the business world. That was also very important to him. Governor McMaster is a very pro-business governor. We can see how he reaches across the table and pulls business into every conversation that we have. And so those are things that I guess uh, made him look, look at me, uh, you know, not once but twice. And I was very honored because at my heart, uh, it was something I only talked about with my closest friends and my, and my husband that I wanted to someday uh, step away from our business and really serve the people of this state. So uh, that's how it came about. Just, you know, I always say, uh, God puts in front of you what you need, right? And so God opened a door and I was more than honored to walk through it. So we'll get right into the policy. So, um, you know, you're not in a tight race right now. And um, so, you know, we're talking about, we're asking other candidates on the podcast, we're always asking, you know, what are the key issues of your race? So I thought it'd be cool. Um, one race that you've been really huge in is Senator Graham versus Jamie Harrison. So. What are, do you think is the critical issues in South Carolina for voters across the state that you've spoken with, um, issues on voting? Why would they choose Lindsay over Jamie or Jamie over Lindsay? So I can tell you um, as a South Carolinian, what's really important to me and what I think is important to people that I talk to as I go around the state is safety, law and order. They like that Senator Graham he stands up for our veterans and he stands with our law enforcement. And that is important. You know, when, when our biggest uh, group of people that are first-time gun owners become women, that's sending a really strong message that, you know, women don't notoriously go out and buy guns. And when they do, they are afraid for themselves and they're afraid for their children. And I think that's something that's really important. Um, I think what else is important is the way that he really uh, is going to, to D.C. and he's taking South Carolina values. He's being supported by South Carolinians. Jamie Harrison has, they're saying, estimating by Tuesday, he will have $120 million to spend here in South Carolina. That did not come from South Carolinians. That came from people in California. That came from people in New York. These are people outside of our state trying to control the views in our state. And I'm very passionate about the fact that South Carolina, and I said this during our election, right? You send people to D.C. 
to represent your values and what's important in your backyard. That's why we have state representation. So it, when you start getting influences that come from out of state, that person is not going to carry the values, unfortunately, of the people he's being elected to represent. He's going to carry the values of the people that have got him in office. And I think that's a real travesty. So, um, you know, one other thing that has really bothered me here recently is the, all the commercial ads that the Harrison camp has been paying for for Dr. Bledsoe, right? I mean, Jamie Harrison, I've been seeing him in his earlier commercials before they got so overwhelming, we, we run from them, right? Um, talking about how he would never lie. He would never lie to the people of South Carolina. Well, sir, you haven't even been elected and you're lying to the people of South Carolina. Um, you know, everybody knows that the third party candidate dropped out in October, too late to get his name off the ballot, but he's-, he's yeah, and endorsed Lindsey Graham, and has gone on TV saying he's supporting. But if you see his his ads have kind of changed. They're just trying to talk about him as a conservative, implying that he is still on the ballot. Any way you slice it, it's deceptive. If that's how you start out the game, how are you going to finish it? So, and I'm glad you made that point. You know, we started this podcast because of that. You know, f because of sometimes when we're watching the news and we're hearing politics, it's so hard to say, oh my God, there's another side. And I think it's important for the voters, especially with getting out the vote, you know, um, um, on both parties to make sure we're educating voters. You know, it, I, I don't think we should be educating. And this is a not a partisan comment at all, but we should never educate voters about people that's not on the ballot. It's important that we educate the voters about what's going on with the ballots. Exactly. So, I, you know, I, I wanted to note that. But one of the biggest things that Jamie Harrison and Lindsey Graham um, and many Democrats across the state have used this as health care. Many Democrats feel it is a critical moment um, in the state. Do you feel that health care um, is on the ballot for this election? I think health care has always been on the ballot. I know when the governor and I ran, when I did my debate, um, Representative Norrell talked a lot about expanding Medicare. Uh, that is something that we, weren't, we were not for. I'm an accountant by trade. And I have talked with other lieutenant governors in other states who have um, accepted the Medicaid expansion. And they are, they are now years out from that. They're very concerned how they're going to pay the bill because the bill comes due. And I think that's what people have to remember. Just because you give somebody an insurance card, that does not give them health care. You have to eat right. You have to exercise. You have to work. You have to have prescription drugs that are affordable. This is all what President Trump has done. Handing something to somebody doesn't solve their problem. Giving people good jobs, jobs that will provide them health insurance, jobs that will give them the money to buy the prescription drugs that they need if they do have an underlying health condition. That's what makes all the difference. President Trump has done that handing somebody, you're giving them a false sense of security by expanding an already bloated system that you're somehow going to make them healthy is just, it's not right. It's not true. And I mean, I, I want to just comment on that before we move on too, is one of the biggest things that I've seen on, on, on the other side for Democrats is people are saying, you know, the president wants to do away with pre-existing conditions. There's so many people um, that are going to lose their pre-existing conditions. And a lot of people don't 
realize this, but before Obamacare, 82 Americans 82% of Americans were already insured before the Obamacare. And obviously Obamacare gave, um, um, gave coverage to more Americans. Yeah. And Obama recently said, well, I knew this healthcare plan wasn't a sure in thing. I just wanted to start somewhere. Yeah. So even Democrats have admitted that it's a failed healthcare system. Mm -hmm. So do you feel that pre-existing conditions will be destroyed um, if Lindsey Graham wins this race. I do not. I think the president has made very clear that he understands um, that people's pre-existing conditions need to be covered, right? I mean, the president is a businessman. We can see that 33.1% was our GDP. I, it's, I, I think it's the biggest in the history of the GDP. So he understands that you don't want to destroy Americans. A pre-existing condition help and forbid it be cancer or an organ replacement or a heart attack, you could devastate a family. That's not what he's looking to do. What he wants to do is get quality health care because the Obamacare plans, uh, that, was, that was my world before I became lieutenant governor. And I'll tell you, we had plans that were much richer and cheaper than the Obamacare plans that were not sanctioned under Obamacare. Why? I couldn't tell you. But most of Obamacare is getting is getting consulting on a medical issue not really getting quality medical care and i think that's the piece that people don't know that's why it is important i want to thank you for what you're doing because we have to really kind of re-educate people and you can't read headlines you got to read the body of the story and if it's something you're passionate about read multiple viewpoints because you know my dad used to say it you have this side and that side and somewhere in the middle probably lies the truth <laughs> And so I, I want to I move on a little bit from um, Jamie Harrison and Lindsey Graham, and I want to get to you and Governor McMaster, and we're going to move back to the politics. We're going to cover a couple of races. So Governor McMaster took a lot of heat over his um, dividing CARES Act money within schools. Can you speak a little bit about that in your office? Um, how, one, how, what, what came about with him making that decision or the, the administration, and what was your outlook on it? So, you know, there were all kinds of pots of money that came down during COVID. So uh, the department, this, the superintendent of education got $129 million to distribute to schools for PPE and other things to get them ready for day one of school. Most people didn't realize that, right? They thought that the governor got some money and he decided just to give it to the parents uh, of kids who they didn't want to send to public school. That was so far from the truth. So when the governor got his money, you know, he looked, he was looking for parts of our state that didn't really get covered in the overall CARES money. Absolutely. That's why GEARS money came about. And so he saw that those independent schools were not receiving really anything to keep them going, realizing that a lot of our South Carolina students go to independent schools. And then when we started to see the trend of not going face to face and we heard the cries of the parents, parents calling this office day after day saying, my child needs to get back to face to face education. This is harming their, uh, this is harming them. You know, they are digressing. We cannot keep going in this direction. The governor felt that it would be wise to take the 32 million and give it to parents. Parents, and these weren't parents who were wealthy parents who were already sending their kids to independent schools. These were for parents who needed the help 
to say that my child is in a district that's not going to let him go back. There were some districts that were going to try to go back virtually 100% that didn't have internet covers. They had no broadband. Absolutely. Parents were scared. And so the governor was helping them to make sure. And, and I, I said this to, to somebody who had asked me. I said, listen, there's billions of dollars that goes into our public schools. To throw $32 million in, which is a lot of money, when you're talking the numbers that go into public education, you don't even, it doesn't even move the needle. But when you gave that $32 million to the parents to choose for their children who were struggling, you directly impacted 5,000 lives. And, you know, I'll even touch on this that, I mean, you actually impact more lives because when you think about it, one of the biggest things about public schools is classrooms are too big. You're giving parents an opportunity to send their students to another school and it helps the class size. It helps, you know, one of the biggest things with COVID is teachers in public schools are saying, oh my God, I have 10 more students than I would have had if we would have been in person. And so that's a huge thing that I feel like it will do um, if, we, if it gets to be done is it takes parents, give parents the opportunity for their kids to be in a smaller school and it takes a little stress off of public school teachers. Well, you know, and the other part of that gears money, the governor earmarked for historically black colleges and universities because he wanted to make sure that they had what they needed. Um, but unfortunately, when all this came about, I think that money has been on hold now too because we have to make sure that it doesn't fall under the ruling that came down, which is such a shame. Now you, you know, you've directly impacted the 5,000 children who could have been flourishing. You directly impacted you know, the historically black college and universities um, that the governor worked so hard to make sure didn't fall through a crack with the CARES money. You know, before, before I go to the next question, I think, thank you for outlining that. Because I think sometimes you know, when we're on social media, we comment so quick and we don't realize there is planning, there is lawyers, there are so many procedures that come into any decision, mm -hmm. especially if you're going to go public with the decision, to make sure it's right. Yep. And you know, I, I think sometimes we forget that, so I, thank you for that. And so a key issue to voters in the first congressional district um, where Emma's from is offshore drilling. We, we spoke with um, Nancy Mace and we talked with her last week and one of the biggest things in her issue, her, her district and it was with Katie Arrington was offshore drilling. So can you talk to us about your stance on offshore drilling? So the governor and I were clear, um, we are not in favor of offshore, offshore drilling. You know, we have a beautiful coast and our coast is earmarked for tourism. There are other coastlines around the country who when people, when the people of that state were planning them, they were they were outlying that and making plans. They're, they're more industrial. Ours is not. We have beautiful beaches and golf courses on our coastline. You know, the governor said, you know, he, he would challenge somebody to find out who's going to give up their pristine golf course to have an intake system for oil somewhere in Hilton Head, right? Nobody's going to do that. Tourism is a huge part of our economy. We saw that during COVID-19. And this administration, the McMaster administration, there is no way that we would ever sanction offshore um, drilling. I'm very proud, Senator Graham, this governor, Governor McMaster, uh, worked with the uh, Trump administration, uh, and we did get exemption for offshore drilling. And so that was, that was from years of hard work. And I, I thank Representative Mace uh, for standing up and, and continuing on the fight. And that is something, uh, I, you know, it was great to see on TV, all of them standing together talking about that. Absolutely. And, you know, just to follow up, I understand we're talking about Nancy Mays, but I, you were in Horry County campaigning with Tom Rice. Do you feel that offshore drilling is a very 
huge topic in his race. No, not really. Not so much in his race. You know, Tom worries about flood water. He does a lot um, in D.C. to make sure that the people of his district get taken care of when flooding happens. Uh, he is just, he's a compassionate man. He's a man that leads with his heart. And, I mean, the people of Horry County and his districts, uh, they're really blessed to have him. And I think looking at Tom's numbers, he always wins by 10%. So I think that's a huge reflection um, of voters that vote. You know, Trump won Horry County by a lot. Yeah. And Tom actually won it by a bigger margin. So that goes to show he has bipartisan support. Well, Tom, Tom doesn't look at who's going to vote for him. You know, when Tom and I went and we went through Marion County, he asked me to come with him and we looked at rebuilt homes that people were having rebuilt because they were flooded. And so FEMA came in and rebuilt. Uh, the areas that we were in are not historically Republican districts. Tom truly reaches across. And I think people feel that. People who no notoriously may vote Democrat but sees how much you know, love and compassion Tom has for everybody in his district, it doesn't shock me at all that they would come across out and but maybe vote against what they've always done. Because, you know, all those people uh, that we visited that day told us, every single one, that we were the first two people that ever came and asked them if they were okay, if their house was good, if there was anything they could do. So, I, you know, just moving on to the next topic, we're, we're actually getting through policy really quick. And so that's the cool thing about not being in an election, too, is you talk, you, you know, it's not, a, you're not being hit on policy as much. And I mean, that's a, that's a cool thing in just a small <laughs> moment. So I'm sure you guys will get hit on it soon, but. So it's going to come quick. Yeah. So, but no, one thing that I want to talk about is COVID. COVID has been um, the gift that just keeps giving in our, our graduations and our daily lives, you know, um, me and Emma, and I'm sure you and Micah see it right now when you're coming to work. It's just a small things, wearing masks and things of that nature. It's changed. It's absolutely changed. How do you rate your administration's response to COVID? Um, I think we did an amazing job. You know, the governor, he, he was very focused. He was very tempered in what he did. Uh, you know, when people initially were crying, close the schools, close the schools, he realized it's not as easy as flipping a switch and closing schools. There's a lot of children who depend on schools to eat. He had to make sure that we could get food to those children, right? Uh, before he could close down schools. Uh, but what I'm most proud of is the way he brought business to the table. He made sure that business sat at the table and had a voice in what was going to happen in their industry. And I think that was paramount, right? Everybody wants a voice. I've been in the business world and I've always, the one thing that has frustrated me about government on every level is that they never bring us to the table to find out what we can do and what we can't do. Sometimes they try to impose guidelines that they're just, they're impossible or they, you, know, you end up spending so much money to try to get in line. So um, I think we did really well. You know, we tapped the brakes when we had to, to figure out how to control the spread, how to get the right information out to people. Uh, and then we opened back up. And now we're counting on the great people of South Carolina to take what we've learned, take what they know, and, and use it in their everyday life. Right. So, so this is actually probably a question for the governor, but you know, since this is geared towards college students, I hope this is something that you tackle. Um, but many college students want to know, when do you think the bars hours will be extended? <laughs> well, you know, the governor would, would love to do, uh, he'd love to open up everything all at once, right? But he is listening to his experts. And, and you open things in phases because you want to see how, 
if you open too many things at one time, you know, he opened uh, 100% capacity in our restaurants. We need to get our restaurants back up to full gear, right? Those people have been harmed a lot. You don't want to do so many things that you don't know maybe what could be attributing to, to spikes. So it's a phased in. It's a, you know, we, we went out very methodical. We want to come back in. Um, and I thought that I thought that was a, that was a kind of a good a good hour. It gets it keeps bars moving, right? I know college students don't like to go out until eleven o'clock, um, but I think I think but what we don't want to do is we don't want to see what's happening. Um, you know, Chicago is reclosing all their bars. They're they're closing down all in dining. I mean, it's I, I can't even imagine being a business owner in those states. You know, they've lost so much business, um, and it's coming back slowly. But I mean that is a huge thing that we when we when we're talking about let's we got to do this and we got to close the state we have to think about those people too that still have to feed their family they still exactly. have to go to work exactly and that's why we brought them to the table you know the governor with Accelerate SC we brought the hospitality and the restaurant association in and we said what can you live with because a lot of people said well, why are you making people wear masks well that came from the recommendations of the restaurant industry because what they didn't want and you you've seen it right if people don't feel comfortable they're not going to come back so if people didn't feel comfortable with waiters and waitresses coming to their table without a mask they just weren't going to come and so they said okay let's make masks mandatory because it it gives people that sense of comfort because people are touching your food you know they're touching the drinks they're bringing to you if we make people feel comfortable it we will help business open back up and get people showing up. You could open everything back up, but if nobody feels comfortable, they're gonna stay at home. And it's not gonna help our businesses at all. Absolutely, and so we are actually done um, with policy. So I wanna do a little bit of broad, broader speaking before okay. we close our interview. So you guys been in Columbia for two years now. Well, Governor McMaster, obviously for um, you two, but two years has been elected governor and lieutenant governor. Why should the voters trust you? Like from when you guys campaigned and when you started, why should voters continue to trust you? Well, I think just like our president, you know, he always says promises made, promises kept. And I think that's what we've done. We've been true to everything we talked about during our campaign, working with the legislature. That was something I talked very passionately about, is that it's not the governor and lieutenant governor's job to beat up the people in the legislature. It's our job to work with them because the people of their district send them here. No matter who they are, no matter what kind of personality they have, we, it's, and it's our job to work with them, and that's what we've done. We've gotten some, you know, we've gotten some great stuff done here. We've gotten, we've moved the needle far quicker than I can say most governors because we sat down at the table with the House and the Senate and we looked at things. You don't see the, the, the mountain of vetoes and veto overrides that you've seen sometimes with other administrations. So. We've worked hard to work with the people that the people of South Carolina sent here for us to work with. We said we would focus on business and that's what we've done. We keep seeing businesses growing. Uh, This year we wanted to work on education. The governor said we need to get the children um, educated and that's what we meant to do. Nobody ever thought about COVID, right? Nobody could have dreamed for this. We were getting to this year with a $2 billion surplus and we were gonna focus heavily on early childhood education. Um, unfortunately, we didn't get to do that, but it hasn't left the docket. It hasn't left as a priority. Um, so we also said we wanted to make sure the business felt like this was, this was the place to call home. This is the best place to bring families, and that's what we've done with that, too. Worked with commerce, worked with business, 
um, to make sure that you know South Carolina stays on stays on their roadmap. Right, this is where they want to come. So I think what we what we said we wanted to do and what we wanted to achieve is exactly what we've been doing. The governor is he's very passionate about transparency in government. Uh, that's why you saw when he, we had the Accelerate SC meetings, the governor wanted them all televised. SCE TV came to every meeting. He made sure he had um, a, a group that dealt with the CARES money so everybody knew how it was going to be spent so it didn't look like money was going to special things here and there. Um, and we brought a third party in. So he has done everything that he said he would do to keep transparency, to keep people believing that their hard-earned money they send to Columbia is being spent the right way. And you touched on this, but you know, when you guys were running, um, one of the biggest things for people in my district, that was one of the first times that I've seen a lot of Democrats be so bipartisan that was so, you know, many of them said, you know, I'm voting for Governor McMaster over James Smith because I can work with him, you know? Um, and, and you see so many of that with, you know, even many Democrats that I speak with, and they see people that may possibly run against you guys, or if you guys choose to run for re-election, um, they say, well, I don't want that. I can work with Governor McMaster. You know, and that's many Democrats. Yeah. So can you talk a little bit about why do you think they say that? Why do you think they think that this office is a bipartisan office that they can work with? Well, the governor um, was, a great, uh, was a great teacher in that. You know, he has a very open door policy. And, and so do I. So I've, you know, I have had a, a lot of our Democratic representatives in my office talking to me about what they want. And we have very open and candid dialogue. Like, I might not, we, we have the same goals. We have different paths to get there, right? Absolutely. Everybody wants better education. We just have different ideas on how to get there. Everybody wants, wants the entire state, right, to have health insurance. A healthy state, that's only good for, for us as a state, right? We just have different ideas how to get there. Um, but letting people talk about their views and telling them why, you're, why you disagree helps move the needle along. Absolutely. And I think that's what I'm very proud of that we do. I, I call many of the Democrats in the House, in the Senate friends, just like I do Republicans. And, and I think it's just that sense of honesty, saying, I like you. We all want the same things, but I might not agree with you on how to get there, but we can talk about it. And I think that's what everybody wants, right, is a seat at the table, whether you're a man or a woman, uh, whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, everybody wants a seat at a table to hear what's going on and to be able to just throw input, just throw input out there to, to make sure that their ideas are heard. So I actually have just two more questions and we're, we're going to be done. But, you know, the governor's been here for four years. You've been here for two. Um, you have campaigned very hard for Lindsey Graham. You've made great relationships with many Democrats, many Republicans across this state. Um, what's next for Pamela Evett? Well, I, enjoy, I really enjoy what I do being Lieutenant Governor. Um, I'm going to conti continue to do this as long as the state will have me. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, I'm, I'm one of those people that I, I, I just wait to see what, what life holds for me, right? I'll, in this new world that I'm in, um, you just live in the day because the day gives you so much to, to think about uh, and you do the best you can on every day and, and I pray that God, God leads me in the path as I'm working hard today. So we always end on this note where we allow everyone to give. Um, South Carolina is a beautiful place. We all like 
in this room like to travel, like to go to different places to eat, different places to um, um, tour attractions. So we always end the podcast on going around the room and talking about the best place in South Carolina that the viewers need to visit. So we'll start with you, Lieutenant Governor, and we'll go around the room and we'll end on Micah. All right. Well, there are so many wonderful places. I was so proud to be with Tom Mulligan and did the SC7 expedition. I was able to jump in and out. But I'm telling you, our parks are amazing. Love to hike. Um, you know, went kayaking. I mean, there are just so many great things to do, especially with COVID. Take your families out. You can, you can horseback ride through Marion. You can kayak, you know, uh, you can, you can, the top, you can climb to the top um, of Table Rock. We did all those things. And, you know, I think our national, our parks, our state parks are a treasure that people read and think about. Because before COVID, people kind of did their own things, right? But then with COVID, we had to get creative. How are we going to get the kids out? What are we going to do to burn off some steam? And state parks were flooded. I was so happy when Dwayne Parrish with PRT talked about the fact that uh, our state parks have been more profitable uh, in, in like the months of May and June and July than they have since they've been keeping those records. So people are starting to find, it, find out about what great jewels we have. But if you haven't, please get out and see our state parks. You will not be disappointed in all the beautiful scenery that South Carolina has to offer. I, I like those pictures that you guys were posting about. I thought it was really cool. Oh, they were wonderful. Well, my mind immediately went to food. So when you're talking <laughs> about places to visit, I was like, let's think of all the restaurants I can come up with. Um, first of all, I agree. Our parks are amazing. Caesar Head State Park right by Traveler's Rest is a super awesome place to visit. I was there and went and saw a bunch of waterfalls a couple months ago. <laughs> um, but food-wise, okay, I'm a firm believer that South Carolina barbecue has to be mustard-based. And so Maurice's in Columbia is one of my favorite barbecue places. But I don't think... I will ever, ever, ever love anything more than a low country oyster roast. Sorry. It is oyster season, and so there's nothing I love more than going down to the low country um, where I'm from and going to an oyster roast just because they have so many great options down there, but there's nothing better than all you can eat steamed oysters. Oh, wonderful. That sounds yummy. So, my favorite place to eat um, barbecue, since we're talking about barbecue, I'll keep the trend going. <laughs> is um, Shuler's Barbecue in Latta, South Carolina. It is a very good barbecue place. I, I, it was probably one of the best barbecue places. I'm biased, and Congressman Rice had a barbecue function there two weeks ago. But, you, I mean, it is a must-have barbecue if you're going through um, to the beach, on your way to the beach, just stop in Latta and try it out. There you go. I'm going to do that next time. <laughs> Um, well, I, my mind went to food too, kind of funny, but there's a place here in Columbia, um, De Prado's, Delicatessen, oh, so good. down Pickens Street, and Diane there's a personal friend of mine, and my family's, my, my dad likes to tell people, he, he drives down from Greenville to come have lunch at De Prado's, they have a great selection of food, and it's all fresh, they make a lot of their bread, their, their meats, but another thing, just to go on with South Carolina's economy, um, we have a great agricultural and poultry um, is huge in this state and in the industry and, and farmland here is, is great. We get fresh vegetables and fruits and you know, peaches obviously, and strawberries in the upstate. But That's a South thing, Carolina pride, peaches. Yeah, <laughs> one of the things I've learned just being in this 
um, in Columbia is there are a lot of restaurants in South Carolina that use what we grow here in South Carolina, the that farm to table style. And so I would encourage people to look for those restaurants, a lot in Greenville, a lot here in Columbia, and they use the poultry or they use the vegetables right from that farm that day. And you can help support South Carolina business and economy that way. So thank you so much for joining us and thank you to the viewers for listening. I'm so excited that we ended our first, our eighth podcast on a very good note in person with the Lieutenant Governor. Thank you so much. Thank you guys for coming.